What's up, everybody? Um, welcome to Podcast Club Season 2, Episode 3. I hope everyone's doing well today. I am Jacob DeSelling, one of your co-hosts, and I'm currently a senior at Cato Middle College High School. Hi, my name is Aliyah, and I'm a junior at Hawthorne Academy of Health and Sciences, and I'm excited to host today and to talk about today's topic. So let's get right into it. Last week, we had another great career club with Ortho Carolina and learned about the different roles in our company. And some fun facts that we didn't know about you guys was you have one of the largest physician-owned orthopedic practices with 42 different locations. And your purpose statement for Ortho Carolina is make lives better. After hearing that, I did it did make me want to consider a job in surgery, but my co-host Jacob is really interested in interviewing our guest today, so I'll let him tell you why. Yeah, so as Aaliyah said, I really did enjoy Career Club last week with Ortho Carolina. And coincidentally, I actually want to become an orthopedic surgeon one day. Uh, Career Club was amazing and it was great. It was a great opportunity for me to learn about a potential organization that I might work for in the future. Um, so I grew my knowledge on how a day in the life of a numerous ortho employees were and a glimpse of how many different positions there are actually at Ortho Carolina so that it could function. Well, aside from the facts about Ortho Carolina, today we will be interviewing someone who works in a field that I greatly desire to work in. Please welcome Dr. Bates, who is an orthopedic specialist at Ortho Carolina. He is named a Carolina top doctor in 2020. Thank you for joining us today and we're excited to learn more about you. Thank you, glad to be here with you all. Yes, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us. So to kick things off, Jacob and I have a few questions for Dr. Bates. Can you tell us what your role is at Ortho Carolina and what you do on a daily basis? Yeah, so I am an orthopedic surgeon. Um, there are multiple types of orthopedic surgeons. I am a hip and knee specialist, uh, sometimes referred to as adult reconstruction. So my day-to-day, -day, it depends a little bit on if I'm in surgery or if I'm in my office, but typically I'm interacting with patients like today from the morning till the afternoon and we're seeing patients who have different problems and talk to them, trying to figure out the best way to help them. Tomorrow's a surgery day, so it'll be quite different earlier morning. I'll be in surgery from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Again, interacting with patients in that regard. But in some form or fashion, either in my office talking to people or performing surgery is my day to day. Um, so I did have one question. So I know that uh, some of the, I know of some of your achievements and one thing that I've realized is uh, that's different from most other doctors is that you've received your diploma of nursing. Is that something you initially were intending to do? And if so, how did you decide to switch your focus onto orthopedic surgery? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And the short answer is no. I did not have this roadmap planned out where I was gonna be a registered nurse first and then use that as a way to become a physician. So, um, my personal story is one, I have an older sister and a, and a twin brother. So my older sister actually went to nursing school. And like many people in high school, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but that had a pretty big influence on me. So when I was ready to finish high school, I decided to go to nursing school as well. And it was really after I started working as a registered nurse, I was working in the medical ICU and I was meeting a lot more people. I really had never considered medical school ever, but you start meeting other folks, you, you talk to other folks, some of which look like me and are, have similar backgrounds. 
And it made me start thinking about more things. That could have been some of the pharmacists, the pharmacists I met, nurse practitioners, PAs, physicians. And I started thinking about it. So I ended up working as a registered nurse for about four or five years, but about two years into it, which is where I got really, really interested in medical school and started making phone calls and getting on the internet. You know, we still had dial up internet back then, but I remember doing that all hours of the night and uh, that's where the interest started. And it just kind of this natural organic thing where I went on to medical school, but no, it was not my game plan. So very different, you know, way to get there, I guess. I think it's a beautiful thing how family can like cause a big impact and we don't realize it until we get older on like our careers and our future choices. So with um, that being said, do you think the nursing degree helped you become the orthopedic surgeon you are today? Absolutely, like a million percent. I truly feel like I'm a different physician than I would be otherwise because, and I can tell you that when I was in medical school and you're trying to learn your way through, you know, the first two years are very textbook based and you're just studying for hours per day. But that third year, when you start getting into the hospital and you're talking to patients and the other people that work in the hospital, it was a massive advantage. But there's no doubt that it made it easier for me to communicate with all the other people in the medical team, physical therapists, pharmacists, nurses, because I'd been on both sides of the equation. And to this day, I think having that additional insight makes it much easier to be a doctor, much easier to understand when you write things in the chart, what that means for the patient, what that means for the nurses, the, the pharmacists and so forth. So it just gave me an incredible level of insight. And even though I didn't plan to do it that way initially, I'm really, really glad that this is the way that it happened. Can you talk a little bit more about your career choices and why you chose those schools? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, like a lot of people, I already mentioned, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do. And that's okay, because if you can't tell, you can make your mind up a little bit later and it all works out, you know? Um, so like I said, I'll start off in nursing and I met a lot of different professionals in the hospital. So at one point I was really conflicted. I wasn't sure if I was going to go to medical school. I'd considered going to do a, a subspecialty within nursing called nurse anesthesia and you become a certified registered nurse anesthetist. And to be perfectly honest, the summer that I was going through the applications for medical school, I took the MCAT for med school. And like two weeks later, I took the GRE, which is the test to get into CRNA school. So, you know, if I took both of those tests, I was truly kind of undecided. And, uh, what helped me pick the school, there's a few things. Number one, there's reality. What can we afford and just practical consideration. So I actually started off in our local community college. I then transferred to the nursing program where I graduated and completed you know, the nursing uh, component. And then after that, I, I went back to do all the prerequisites for medical school. Now, I did that in my undergrad, which was Old Dominion University. But one of the reasons I wanted to do Old Dominion was because they were one of only two schools in the state of Virginia, where I'm from, where they actually had a nurse anesthesia program. And I could also do the prerequisites for medical school. So that way, going there, 
I had either option available to me. So I thought that was a really good decision and it worked out. So uh, even though I ended up doing medical school route, had I chose to go the CRNA route, I would have had the opportunity to at least apply to a, a school that had that program. <laughs> Thank you for your uh, breakdown of your history, especially with your academic history. So uh, if you were to go back to my age, what advice would you give your high school self? You know, if, if I could go back, honestly, I would say, you know, set my goals as high as I want to. Don't, don't sell yourself short. And I've, you know, I've talked to some people before and I explained that when I was in, you know, high school, I, even though I wasn't exactly sure what I did want to do, some things seemed like they were kind of out of reach, like a pipe dream, right? Thinking about medical school may have been something that I mentioned, but as a joke, not something mm -hmm. I really seriously thought was a possibility. And it wasn't until I started working as a nurse and I met other people, sometimes in other cities, and I started being exposed to just a broader array of people from different backgrounds who did these things. And that was really the, I think the first time it didn't seem like, you know, a joke to think about someone being a physician or pharmacist, attorney. So I'm a little bit, you know, surprised sometimes when I think back to how I did think when I was in high school, how I limited myself. And some of that was because of lack of exposure to those things. So if I was to tell you, I mean, I think you're already there. The first thing you said was you have aspirations of being an orthopedic surgeon. You're ahead of the game now because that was something I couldn't even really entertain at the time. So the fact that you're thinking about it now, the fact that you're participating in this, you're asking questions, you're getting the insight, what does it take to do it, really puts you ahead of where I was at this point in time. Um, so that's the main thing I would tell you, just you're there. And I hope, you know, many of your classmates, um, you know, realize that this is easily a possibility. If you set the goal, there are people like myself and many other people who can tell you what things you have to do to achieve the goal. That makes sense. And that's also something that I've struggled with, not, be, not believing myself and just like not setting my goals high. Sometimes I'd, I'd actually like cap myself off to a specific goal, but I've been, I've been uh, dealing with that and I've actually taught myself to actually set high goals and accomplish them also. So what would you say actually motivated you and what drives you on like a daily basis? Well, back when I was in college, you know, I think it was just, it, it became, it came down to a self-motivation. Um, in high school, I was a good student you know, decent student. I have my share of issues in high school, right? There are lots of things that can distract you from, you know, being an A and B student. And I remember it was kind of like a light switch. When I started in college at that community college, my entire focus was getting A's. And it was my first, second, and third priority. And I still remember to this day, uh, we went to register for schools at the uh, for classes at the community college. Both of my parents were with me. We then went to the bookstore and I saw my dad write a check. I don't know if you guys know what a checkbook looks like. We don't, most people don't use those anymore, but my dad wrote a check for my textbooks 
and I saw him write the check. I think it was like $572 for books. Oh my God. And I was floored by this. I mean, it just, I really felt kind of guilty because I was like, oh my God, my dad's having to write a check for this just for some textbooks. And for whatever reason, I think everybody has a, you know, something different that really kind of hits home for them. And that was a moment that really hit home for me. And it just made me get so motivated about doing well in the classes, not treating that as a joke, taking it very seriously. Um, so that was really a, a defining moment for me. It sounds like it's something small, but it's to this day, you know, 20, 20 years later, you know, I still think about that. That was my motivation. You know, now as an orthopedic surgeon, now, you know, it's my family. I have, I have two little boys. I have a one-year-old, a three-year-old, my wife. So that's what motivates me now, right? Um, and then things like this, you know, my community, the fact that there are folks like all of you all who are striving to do this, who have the same questions I have, that's a huge motivation. Um, what would you say are some habits that have helped you become successful throughout your life? I mean, when it comes to medical school and just the whole medical education, um, number, I think the by far the biggest thing was just setting pretty rigid goals. And my goal was to always do very well in classes after we got, you know, made that high school to college transition. My goal was to become just an excellent student. That kind of set in place everything else. It made sure I studied hard enough. If that meant I was struggling in a particular class and the you know, the teacher, the professor, they had office hours where they talked to you more, I would go, right? If other students were doing study groups and so forth, I would go. So that underlying motivation, I think, directed most of my activities um, that I think led to, you know, having a pretty successful experience in college and in medical school and so forth. Um, you know, another thing is, a lot of these things seem quite daunting, at least they did for me. When I'm applying for med, med school, I'm always thinking to myself, well, gosh, there's like thousands of other really intelligent, you know, students out here who are competing for these very limited spots. What chance do I have? And one thing I always kind of thought to myself that I still do to this day is if all these other people have done this before me, why can't I? I'm a pretty regular person, right? I'm as intelligent as many of my friends are. If other people have done this, there's really no reason I can't. Thinking that way sometimes helps me eliminate a lot of the self-doubt that inevitably will creep into your brain at some point. But I think when you just step back, look around you at the bigger picture, and you realize that all these thousands of people have done this before you, you recognize nothing is impossible about it. It's just, you have to know the steps and the best way to achieve them. I think a lot of people should have that mindset because I know specifically for me, I used to always think, oh, well, I'm not good enough as this person. Maybe they should have it and not me. And I think a lot of like that self-doubt does sometimes come from like the people around us in our environment. But I think sometimes we just have to not be arrogant, but have a little bit of self-confidence in ourselves saying that I can do this, I can do and accomplish my dreams and what I want. So. I agree with you. I mean, sometimes that sounds a little bit cliche or a little bit pie in the sky, but I mean, I truly mean, this is a practical thing. 
So, you know, like I said, I have, I have two children and you have one, when we had one child, we felt like that was so hard taking care of a child and my wife's working full time. She's an OBGYN physician. I'm working full time. So we got a little bit of a crazy household. Then, you know, child number two comes along and we're, you know, kind of saying, how are we going to make this work? And I literally said, you know, there are millions of people across America who make it work with two kids, three kids, four kids. If they can do it, we can do it. We might not know how, but if they figured it out, I'm pretty sure we're going to figure out as well. And that's exactly what happened. And when I thought about it that way, when I think about many other things that seem daunting to me in that fashion, it takes my anxiety level down so much lower because you know that it's the truth. If all these other people can do it, why can't you? Why can't I? You're right. You're right. And having that kind of a mindset is actually really, really helpful, especially since there's like billions of people on this earth and billions of people have also done great things. So yeah, that, that'd be a really, really great thing to remind yourself of. So what are some things people don't know about your um, specialty in orthopedics? Um, you know, I think there's probably a lot. Orthopedics is one of those specialties where you know if you've injured yourself, if you've had to see an orthopedic surgeon for an orthopedic problem, you know, a lot of people hear the term orthopedic and a lot of folks think it means feet. You know, you, you take care of you know, feet problems, which we do, but that's one small uh, portion of what we do as orthopedic surgeons. Um, one thing that I think surprises people is how many subspecialties there are in orthopedic surgery. So I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I mostly do hip and knee replacement and complicated hip and knee surgeries. I have partners who do uh, sports medicine. So they focus on like shoulder problems, like rotator cuff problems, ACL injuries of the knee. We have orthopedic surgeons here in Charlotte. All they do is take care of cancer. So they're called an orthopedic oncologist and they take care of a very rare subgroup of cancer called sarcomas that start in the connective tissues like the bone. We have pediatric orthopedic surgeons. Um, we have foot and ankle specialists. We have hand and wrist specialists. We have spine specialists who are orthopedic surgeons. So that's one cool thing that I think a lot of people don't realize. All those different specialties are orthopedic surgeons. Uh, that's the one you know, thing that ties them all together. That's, that's interesting to hear about. And injured. I had an injury, an ankle injury actually. And uh, when I was a kid, like second grade, I was I was pretty hefty back then. <laughs> so I tried to do uh, I tried to go across the monkey bars by myself, and uh, my hands got sweaty, and I broke my ankle on my way down. And ever since then, uh, my ligaments in my left ankle have been weak. So I know about re-injuring my my ankle. I've, I've injured it a lot, uh, actually. There's an ongoing joke in orthopedics that orthopedic surgeons are the people who pay for monkey bars across the city. <laughs> and we say that, but I can tell you, you know, when I was in my residency and we're in the trauma bays at night taking care of everybody that comes in and gets injured, when we got called to the pediatric ED, probably the most common method a child got injured was falling from the monkey bars. <laughs> the, the second most common was a trampoline, but okay. the monkey bars, hands down, hands down. Yeah. So regarding your surgeries, what's the longest surgery that you've ever performed? I probably had one that lasted seven hours. Okay. You know, um, 
Yeah, probably had a couple that lasted seven hours. Then it drops down. Um, for some really complicated ones, you know, you can be in there for, you know, five hours. And there are some surgeries where we, we start the surgery, we do part A, we temporarily close the wound, we do some special things in the operating room, we reopen the wound and we start again. So you can imagine that those surgeries can take several hours as well. They can take a while sometimes. That's not very common, fortunately. Okay, so with those seven-hour surgeries, did were you able to take breaks at certain times and like need to do what you need to do? Yeah, so most of those, no. On the ones where you have a part A and a part B, yeah, you can slip away and you can take a break and get a drink of water. Um, but for the majority of those surgeries, if you're doing a complex surgery, five or six hours, no, not really. So you really kind of have to prepare beforehand. You know, those are surgeries where I drink plenty of water beforehand. You run to the restroom before you start the surgery. And another thing about it, when you're in the midst of a surgery, when you're actually doing it and you're laser focused on what you're doing, it doesn't really feel like it's been seven hours. I mean, to be honest, sometimes you don't realize it until you look up at the clock or somebody in the operating says, you know, hey, you know, it's we're going on 4 p.m. and you know, you started at 11 a.m. You're like, wow, time flies. So you're not really thinking about that, but time flies when you're like laser focused on doing the surgery. Thank you. And thank you so much thank for you. answering your questions. Uh, there is one thing I did want to say before we move on. Uh, you probably can't see from the screen, but I am standing at six foot six and I am in love in basketball. So, and there's a phrase in basketball that says uh, you'll miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So Dr. Bates, since we all know that you're a very successful orthopedic surgeon, and by now you know that I'm very interested in the orthopedic field, is there a potential opportunity for me to shadow you or someone in the, at the North Carolina in the summer and throughout my collegiate years? Yes, there is. That's something that we actually do at Ortho Carolina. We have an organized program that goes through our central office. But absolutely, I've had students shadow me in the past. So love to have you. Um, uh, anytime I can have someone who wants to see what it's really like, um, who's interested, I mean, I love that. You know, absolutely, I, I really do. It's, it's fun. It's enjoyable. We'd love to have you. All right, perfect. And uh, would I be able to get your contact information after, so we could contact after this meeting? Yeah, of course. All right, perfect, perfect. Thank you so much. I like the chat. Someone just said, shoot your shot. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that type, of, that type of attitude goes a long way. Um, so good for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so Jacob just shot his shot with Mr. Bates, and it was a slam dunk. So now we're <laughs> the floor um, to our fellows to ask Dr. Bates some questions. So you can go ahead and drop them in the chat, and I'll pick a few to read out loud. And while you're doing that, we already have some questions for you. So our first question is, have you met any famous people while you've been an orthopedic surgeon? Yeah, I have. Um, you know, some of the, you know, the athletes that, you know, we take care of when, you know, when I was in residency. So you know, met some, you know, really you know, kind of cool athletes before. Um, not really supposed to, I guess, say names and that kind of thing in a, <laughs> a public forum, but yeah, lots of, uh, lots of athletes. Did they give you free tickets to their game? No, nah, no free tickets, no free tickets. <laughs> so if you didn't go down to the medical field, what would have been your backup? 
That's a good question. Um, you know, I guess if I hadn't gone into nursing at all, you know, sometimes my wife and I talk and say, you know, if we weren't physicians, what, what would we do? I always tell her I would be some type of engineer, like maybe I'd go be a civil engineer. You know, I'm always really impressed with the things that they plan and design and create, whether it's bridges, tunnels, infrastructure for cities. I find that kind of stuff pretty interesting. I don't know much about it, but I think it would be pretty, you know, pretty interesting work. That does sound very interesting how they did come up like the structures for those bridges and stuff. Um, another fellow asks, how did you, how do you feel physically and emotionally after completing a successful surgery? Oh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome. After a successful surgery, I mean, you know, everybody's kind of high-fiving, right? And those are like mm -hmm. the, those are like the best moments, especially if it's a like a complicated surgery and you get through it. It's funny, um, a physician assistant who works with me, uh, his name is Chase. We actually, we made this video I put on my Instagram where we, we did this high five and we, we kind of were making a joke about it. But that was kind of what's supposed to display what happens after you do a really cool surgeon that goes well. And we had just finished one, so we recorded it and we put it on Instagram. So. You know, we do some silly stuff too. <laughs> nice. Did you ever like doubt yourself or did you like experience imposter syndrome going through like the medical school? And if so, how did you deal with it? No doubt about it. Um, uh, big time. And I think if, you know, if you talk to a lot of people, I think a lot of folks um, that I have personally talked to, some of my closer friends that, you know, have done this, you, you, we, I think we all have to, to some degree. And uh, not to be repetitive, but the biggest way that I combated the imposter syndrome and the self-doubt was when I would tell myself, okay, if X, Y, and Z could do this, I can do this, right? And it wasn't about being, you know, it's not about being cocky or arrogant. It's not saying, well, I'm the smartest person in the room. I wasn't the smartest person in the room. I don't think that I am. But I know that I have a baseline level of intellect that should allow me to achieve most goals if I know other folks can do it. That was my biggest way of battling the self-doubt. Self what do you enjoy about your current role and is there anything you wanna change or add? You know, I think I, I have a really good mix with my current role. Um, I'm practicing in a city that I really enjoy, which is a really big plus. Um, I can take care of a pretty diverse patient population, which is really important to me. Um, I'm in a, a situation where there are lots of learners, whether it be you all, um, people who are interested in medicine, or whether it be the orthopedic surgery residents here who I have the opportunity to work with. And that interaction is really fun for me. Teaching them how I take care of patients um, is one of the more enjoyable things I do. So having a, a, a position where I can work with residents, I can take care of a diverse patient population, do routine surgeries and complicated surgeries yeah that's I mean that's a pretty awesome setup thank you all for those questions those are really good oh sorry we have one more um throughout undergraduate medical school and residency how often do you feel represented and how often do you see yourself among your peers staff and teams how often do I feel represented throughout you said residency like in terms of like race and that kind of thing yes I think there's, it's no mystery that when you start going into um, 
careers like medicine or, or maybe law or something like that, um, there's going to be a lot of times where you're the only person in the room that looks the way you look. And that's something that you have to be comfortable with and you, you learn to be more comfortable with. Now, I've always felt like I've had a pretty easygoing personality. I get along with almost anyone. So it wasn't particularly a, a struggle, but it is certainly something that you are aware of. There are times you wish you had more comfort or more people to look like you, um, but you just learn that that's not something that's always going to be the case. Um, a lot of what you guys are gonna do or maybe what I did, you may be the first you know, generation in your family to go to graduate school or to even college. You may be the first doctor or lawyer or whatever in your family. Um, you're going to be breaking some barriers when you do these things. And that's, you know, I think that's really, really important. And, you know, at least in my experience, each level you go, you know, first it's medical school. And of course, you know, I was certainly in the minority in my medical school class. We had, you know, six African-American people out of a class of 150. It's, that's not something you don't notice, obviously, right? Um, and then as you go through with, you know, orthopedic surgery, you know, it's well known that orthopedic surgery itself is one of the least diverse specialties in all of medicine, in all of medicine. That is uh, racial diversity as well as gender. There's very few women that go into orthopedic surgery. Um, so those are things that I think there is a heightened awareness of. Um, some of the things that we are doing at Ortho Carolina are trying to number one, acknowledge these things and say, what can we do to change that, right? One of my personal goals is how can I reach somebody who was in the same boat that I was where I thought it was a joke to consider going to medical school? So talking to you all who are somewhat early in your careers is an opportunity for me to do that, an opportunity for all of us at Ortho Carolina to reach out to the community. And the more we do things like this, the more we have motivated students like you all in 20 years, hopefully we'll be describing orthopedic surgery and many other specialties very differently when we talk about diversity and so forth. That was very impactful. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, especially as a person of color that's also trying to pursue orthopedic surgery, that, that's very helpful. Um, so I believe that's the end of this segment with the fellows having questions. So we have come to the part of our show where we ask each of our guests to leave us with their personal statement. So 100 years from now, uh, when people think of Dr. Michael Bates, what is the statement that you would want to make to the world? I would want people to think of Michael Bates um, as a sincere person who loved his family, aimed and really took great care of his patients and hopefully impacted and empowered other people like you guys to do big things with their lives as well. That was a very beautiful impact statement. 
So thank you, Dr. Bates, for having an impactful conversation with us. We truly do appreciate it. And I'm sure all of our fiddles learned something new today. So I'll leave our audience with a few words. We all have a choice to make a statement daily. What will be your next statement? Thank you again, Michael Bates, for um, having a conversation with us and our fellows. Thank you so much, Dr. Bates. No problem. Enjoy it, guys. Really do.